I told my spiritual advisors that they might be a little uncomfortable today as I speak about biased spiritual advice. But I believe that that's what our topic is about as we continue in our study of the book of Acts. <laughs> today we're going to take a look at Acts 21, 1 to 16. And I know that you've, uh, if you're like me, you've, you've probably given your opinion from time to time. Maybe you've given your opinion when asked for advice. And uh, you've given that advice, but then you've ended it with this caveat, um, but I'm biased. And uh, we receive, you know, we receive that at face value. We understand that the opinion being offered by you is uh, somewhat uh, influenced by your prejudices, by what's important to you and what you think is best. And so you know that uh, the advice that you're getting is, um, is not purely objective, but it's um, subjective. It's subject to your, um, the person's uh, prejudices. Um, and that's not unusual. We, we, we don't mind it when people say that. But sometimes people give their opinion or they give their advice and they don't indicate that they're biased. Um, they don't reveal a bias. They don't say, but I'm biased. And then again, there are times when people give their opinion, and they invoke some kind of credibility, like expertise. <laughs> and I should know because. You know that one? And I should know because. Um, and then there's times, as Christians, when we get advice and... The caveat is, and I believe the Lord is telling me to say this to you. Whoa, that's a heavy, right? I believe the Lord is instructing me, or this is from God, what I'm about to tell you. Well, we find this um, situation in Paul's travels. Paul has been traveling with his friends. Luke is one of them who's writing the book, Acts. And uh, he's traveling around the Mediterranean, and he has in his mind now that God is calling him to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, where it all began. And so I'm going to read uh, in Acts 21. I have the words up on the overhead for you. Where we left off was that Paul was having that a very emotional goodbye talk with the uh, elders of the Ephesians, or the, the church in Ephesus. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. 
We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Look at these words. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each one or each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned to their homes. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Telemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the original seven. Uh, one of the seven, I should say, yeah. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. <clears throat> when we heard this, and, and we and the people were there, pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, uh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So what are we supposed to make of this statement? Through the Spirit, they urge Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Wow. That leads us to this question. Was Paul being disobedient by insisting on going to Jerusalem? Disobedient to God and the Holy Spirit? Or was their advice biased? influenced by a bias. We know that there's been growing opposition to Paul going to Jerusalem. Uh, first of all, just that emotional goodbye uh, to the Ephesian leaders. And, and, it, and, it, and it says uh, there in, in, uh, in the scriptures, after we had torn ourselves away. So there's this idea that, you know, they're kind of holding on to Paul because they know where he's going. So after we had torn ourselves away, and then there's, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And then uh, there was this Agabus, uh, who said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So there's this prophecy from Agabus that this is going to happen. And then when we heard this, we, and, and so there's the writer of the book of Acts, Luke is included. We and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So we have this um, situation where the Apostle Paul is, is convinced that the Lord is leading him to Jerusalem, and those around him are really trying to dissuade him. And some are saying, the Spirit is telling us, that you should not be going. Wow. 
somebody told me that the Spirit was telling me to do something, I'd listen, <laughs> right? Because you don't hear that that much, right? Like, I'd be, wow, that's quite a, that's quite a statement coming from somebody that, that I should do that. I'm sure Paul had reason to wonder um, what was God's will. So you, you have Paul here in Acts 20 once again, and, and now compelled by the Spirit, Paul saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. So he's compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So he's not naive. He knows that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be facing hardships and difficulties. So it's not like he's sort of like oblivious to what's going on, but he feels that it's the Holy Spirit that is compelling him. And then there, there are others around him who, would, who said through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So, so both Paul and his friends are claiming that their position was in keeping with the Spirit's prompting. It was the Spirit that was prompting them to share this advice. It was the will of God for Paul. But we know that God is not double-minded, so both can't be true. As a matter of fact, when you read the book of James... James has really strong words about being double-minded, being of two minds. Uh, he basically says, James does, that it's a weakness, and it's certainly not from God. And so God is not double-minded. He is not weak. He doesn't uh, you know, say one thing to one person and another to somebody else that are in conflict with each other. He doesn't conflict himself. So in order to sort of sort this out, um, I want us to take a look at what's behind Paul's conviction, and then we'll look at what has formed the opinion of, of those opposing him, even though they're opposing him in love. So what formed Paul's conviction? Well, Paul, right from the get-go, right from the outset, understood that he was going to live a life of danger and difficulty and opposition. We know that right when he was converted, he had that crazy conversion on the road to Damascus where he's blinded and he's taken off to a town. Uh, and then this guy called Ananias was, was called to go see Paul. And God said to Ananias this, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name from the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so, right at Paul's calling, he knew that suffering, difficulty, opposition was all going to be part of the package that he would sign up for. Secondly, we know that Paul is super passionate about this calling. We read in Acts 21, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not doing it because he, you know, he's got some death wish. He's not doing it because he wants to be a martyr and to be honored and, and uh, looked up to because he was so sacrificial. 
He's doing it for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's his passion, is to live entirely and completely for Jesus. And then finally, I believe that what Paul's uh, conviction is formed by is his obedience. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So that's where Paul's coming from. Paul feels that the Holy Spirit is, compelled, he is, is compelling him or, or, or uh, encouraging him to go to Jerusalem, telling him to go to Jerusalem. He wants to be obedient. It's in keeping with his passion to do whatever it takes for Jesus Christ. And it seems to be what God called him to. So this is what has formed his conviction. So what has formed the conviction of those who are around Paul and are friends of Paul. And they're saying, don't go. In fact, they're saying, the Spirit is saying, don't go. Well, the first thing that forms their opinion is their love for Paul. <laughs> they love the guy. He's been their spiritual father. He, they, they love him. And so, <laughs> Paul says to them, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? So they're, they're weeping appealing to him, please, Paul, don't go and do this because certainly you're going to suffer and possibly die. So it's their love that is compelling them and forming their opinion. Another thing that's really important for us to get here is that they have a misunderstanding of suffering. You see, we're human, and by nature we see suffering as bad. But God doesn't see suffering as bad. Actually, God, God uh, calls us at times to suffering. It's, it's not something that is to be avoided. It's not outside the will of God, suffering. Suffering is something that God uses for his good purposes. And so they were like, you know, we got to avoid suffering. So Paul, don't go there, you're going to suffer. Suffering is bad, it's outside the will of God. That's not true. It's not outside the will of God. Suffering. I mean, some of, well, I can give you a bazillion examples of that, but look at Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, he's our prime example. It's through his suffering that we are healed. Right? So suffering is not outside the will of God. But they misunderstood that. And also, their opinion was formed by a narrow view of God's sovereignty. <laughs> I, I, I kind of find it's, it's kind of interesting uh, what Luke writes here. It's sort of kind of embarrassing that he kind of reveals this sort of publicly. But he says, when he would not be dissuaded. So when Paul wouldn't be persuaded or dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so they're... they're Appealing and, and trying to turn his mind and change his way, but then and in the end they kind of sort of admit, well, we're not convinced this is the Lord's will, but the Lord's will be done. Paul wasn't like that. <laughs> Paul knew what the Lord's will was. 
He was convinced what the Lord's will was. And, and, and so their, their understanding of the, the sovereignty of God is that somehow we kind of have some influence. But no, God is in control. God knows what he's doing. And God's will for Paul was to go to Jerusalem and to suffer. Just as it was for Christ to go to Jerusalem and to suffer. So I ask you then, whose opinion is in keeping with the will of God? What is the spirit and who has the ear of the spirit? Whose opinion is biased? Well, I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? His friends loved him. <laughs> they didn't want him to suffer. And they wanted to be as persuasive as possible, recognizing that maybe they were not actually speaking what God had in mind, but they loved him so much, it was okay. If we need proof that it was actually Paul who did have the mind of God, let's go to some two examples of, of his ultimate vindication. We read first in Acts 23. Jesus Christ meets with Paul while he's under the guard of the Roman authorities. We read it in Acts 23.11. After Paul has gone to Jerusalem, he's in Jerusalem, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Have courage, for just as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. So it was very clear that Jesus was clearly wanting Paul to go. And his opinion was the right opinion. that This was God's will for his life. Secondly, we take a look at Paul's letter to Timothy, his uh, apprentice, if you will. And Paul says, in writing to his apprentice, I have completed, I have competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have set their affection on, the, on his appearing. So he had confidence that this call that he had to go to Jerusalem was exactly within what God wanted him to do. So, Paul's convinced and his followers and friends are convinced, but only one of them has the mind of God. So what's the application? For us. I think first this lesson uh, comes as a warning to each of us who give counsel that we have to really be careful about bias when we're saying, I feel that this is what you should do. <laughs> I feel the Lord is telling me that this is what you should do. I think we have to be very careful about that. I think that we have to be very, very careful about not invoking the endorsement of the Holy Spirit unless you're sure. <laughs> In other words, not using that those terms that, you know, 
the Spirit is compelling me to say this to you um, frivolously. It's a serious thing, and, and we need to be careful about that. Thirdly, I think that we need to check our biases for errors. God's sovereignty, for instance. Can we include in God's sovereignty something like suffering? You see, the Apostle Paul, he didn't see suffering as a bad thing. In Philippians 3.10, we read these words, I, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death. See, Paul didn't see that it was outside the sovereignty of God or outside of the will of God to allow suffering. And so we have to be checking ourselves and saying, is my bias based on what God wants or is it based on a misunderstanding uh, that I might have? We all have fears. We all have uh, fears. I, I know that we've often gotten counsel that really is based in fear. And it's usually, you know, and, and for some reason, many times in our Western culture, financial security trumps everything. That's, that's a bias, and it's, it's not from God. It's from John Locke, maybe, who wrote about capitalism. But it's not. It's, that's a bias. Financial security is, is not above the will of God is, is not above the will of God. You know, and so sometimes our counsel is more related to financial security than it is uh, to do with um, what God really wants you to do. And we all have passions, you know. We always want, want to encourage people to do things uh, and feel that it's from God if it leads to good health or to wealth or, or to security. And so we need to really check our biases for errors. Secondly, I think that this, this lesson calls us to question our own commitment to Christ. Does our commitment to Christ trump everything else? Does it trump all of those biases that we have and all of those passions that we have? Does it um, stand up to the fears that we have? So we need to question whether or not we would respond like Paul, even though all the evidence is that it's not going to go well, particularly for Paul. Uh, on any measure, uh, it's certainly, you know, being held captive and ultimately being executed uh, is, not, is, is not what we would call sound advice. But it was the will of God for Paul. It was God's will. And so, I think that um, we need to see Jesus' call and his will as, as being unequivocal uncompromising and complete. Its hold is complete on us. It, it precedes all other considerations. It's our highest priority. 
It's our singular pursuit. Paul said, for, for me to live is Christ. I love that expression. <laughs> for me to live is Christ. There is nothing else I'm living for. And to die is gain because then I am with Christ. Right? So for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So probably by now I've scared you off ever giving advice to anyone. <laughs> I recognize that. But I want to close by saying we need to be giving each other spiritual advice. We need to get to the place as Christians where we have the confidence and the maturity to speak into each other's lives. And this is not just sort of my bias. Okay. This is found in Scripture. I want us to take a look at three passages of Scripture. The first one is from 1 Corinthians 12a. So one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does in us is it, it can give us, the Holy Spirit can give us a word for somebody. I used to be deathly afraid of that. <laughs> Who am I to give the word of God to somebody? But sometimes, if you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it is part of the Christian experience for you to speak the word of God to somebody. With all of the cautions that I've given us today, but at the same time, we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to be about it. And we need to be receptive to it. Not, oh, who do you think you are? Secondly, a second passage that we have is from Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs through the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So let the, let the Word of God be so compelling in you that you can admonish, that you can speak to others about what you think is the godly perspective and what is the godly direction. This is part of being part of the body of Christ. What the world says is, that's none of your business, buddy. <laughs> How dare you think that you can speak into my life? That's none of your business. Well, actually, when I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself because we're of the same body. And so, yeah, anybody here speak to themselves? We all do. We're speaking to ourselves because we're all the body of Christ. And so it is within the realm of acceptance to be doing this sort of thing. And then the final passage I have for you is from Matthew 10, 19. Because you might think, um, you might be compelled to go and speak to someone. You have something on your heart, and, and, but you might be compelled and you might not know what to say. Uh, I love the fact that, because I get up here sometimes and I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> or I go to, I go to other people, seriously, like, I will sort of have an idea sometimes, but then I'll say, Lord, I get that idea, but I need you to, you need to bring the words, Right? And so 
but you might be compelled or feel that you need to come alongside, or maybe somebody has called you to come alongside them and want some input, some advice. I love this. What Jesus said, Jesus said this to the disciples when they were about to uh, go out and uh, kind of do a missions work, uh, a missions trip, if you will. But when they arrest you, he said, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. At that time. I mean, a little more preparation would be nice, right? <laughs> but at that time, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. But the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. And so, Paul has this conviction. This is what the Holy Spirit is compelling me to do. His friends, because they love him, they're biased. <laughs> they love him. They don't like suffering. They think suffering is bad and not of God. They advise him not to go to Jerusalem. Okay? And so, uh, he sticks to his guns. Right? And does that which he knows is of God. The other side of the coin is that we need to be people who speak into each other's lives. You know, at first you're probably going to say it like this. It seems kind of crazy, but I'm not so sure about this, but I think the Lord's telling me to tell you this. <laughs> yeah. Right? And you know what? When the Lord's word is spoken to you by someone who's being called of God to speak to you, it will just resonate. You'll say, wow, I know that is a God. I've had that experience with, I shared it two weeks ago, my spiritual advisors, you know, where I've sat in, 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 in with them and, and said, this is what I'm thinking. I've come to you for spiritual advice. And then they, they'll just, they'll speak it, and then I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. And so we can be a people, we can be a family, we can be a community in which we actually speak the very words of God to each other. But we have to guard against bias and uh, being persuaded by the wrong things. Amen. I'm being stood up by Asher at this point, so I better stop. <laughs> and who can't, who can't resist that little guy? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, Paul and uh, his willingness to be obedient. Even though he was under great pressure uh, from people who loved him dearly and who were saying seemingly wise things, Lord, help us to be so in touch with your spirit that we are convinced of what your will is. And when there are times that we uh, need input, help us to have confidence in each other. And I pray, Lord, that you would be working in us, that, that we would get to that place of maturity and strength, that we would be willing to speak your words into each other's lives. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. God bless.